Good morning, and welcome to the Crosspoint Community Podcast. My name is David Watkins. Before we get started this morning, I would be remiss without thanking our listeners, as we are now the third highest rated podcast here in Northern Rockwall among women ages 70 to 72. So thank you for our listeners. Uh, let's get, go ahead and get started with our show. Uh, if we could open up the studio doors and welcome in our guest this morning, it's a man who really needs no introduction. He is an author, an area-renowned scholar. We want to uh, welcome in the mayor of Igoja and a very own Crosspoint elder, Mr. Kai Mark. Kai, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. The pleasure's mine, I have to say. Glad you can make it in this morning. He's joined this morning by Nick Ganey as well. And so let's go ahead and get started this morning. Kai, Nick, I don't know if you're aware, but there's a virus that's been going around that's causing somewhat of some chaos and panic. As we sit here and try to bring a little levity and humor to uh, to our morning, but the truth is, is that uh, Crosspoint leadership has gone through quite a bit of decision making and discerning mm-hmm. as far as trying to make some decisions as far as a path forward and how we should handle that. Just want to see if you could speak a little bit into it and give some insight for our church family. Sure. Well, obviously, the the fact that we're having this episode here is evidence to the fact that we've made the decision not to meet this morning. And I want to just relay two details that I think are important about that. One, I want you to know that we're being very diligent to research the issue and making decisions like this. We're making a point to gather information from reputable sources such as the World Health Organization and the Center for Disease Control. And also paying close attention to what city and county officials around us are recommending. So just want to let you know that we're trying to do due diligence on that and that it's not just the the three elders making that decision, but other deacons and church leaders are speaking into that as well as we try to figure out the best way to handle this. And then number two, I want you to know that we've made this decision not to meet today, not out of fear, but out of a love thy neighbor perspective. Um, Here's the deal. like I'm convinced that most of the folks in our body aren't really that afraid of getting the coronavirus. I mean, according to statistics and information that's out there, contracting the virus would most likely not cause a great deal of harm to most of the members in our body. However, there are people both in and outside of our body to whom this virus does pose a serious deadly threat because of their age or pre-existing medical condition. So in the spirit of loving our neighbor, even if you as an individual are not really worried about getting it or what that might do to you, we're asking you to join us by doing what we can to keep it from spreading more rapidly than it already is. Um, And so one of the things that meant for us is just to not meet as a large group this Sunday. And that's why we're here in the studio, also known as David Watkins Den, having this episode right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that decision was not come too easily. Uh, but man, I appreciate the appreciate the perspective on that. It's good. Um, we're gonna be kind of walking through a little bit in Matthew. Uh, so if you would, uh, let's let's continue on there. Yeah. So we're actually gonna look back at Matthew chapter four, verse seventeen this morning. It's some verses we've already covered, but we're gonna look at them in light of our current situations. So Matthew four seventeen, it says, "From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, 'Repent, for the kingdom of heaven.'" 
is at hand. And something that's noteworthy contextually about this verse is that this is essentially Matthew's summary verse of all the teachings of Jesus. So this is after he was baptized, just before he begins his ministry. And Matthew summarizes all of his teachings by this one phrase, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it's really true to form throughout the book of Matthew. You see the kingdom of heaven coming to earth as such a dominant theme of all the teachings of Jesus. In fact, the word kingdom is used 53 times in the book of Matthew, which is almost on average two times per chapter. Um, And so just to recap on that, the meaning of the kingdom of heaven, if we were to define that in a concise way, would be the saving reign of Christ on earth. And so what Jesus is saying is that there's essentially, with his arrival on earth as the Messiah, that there is this collision of kingdoms that here on earth we live in what the New Testament refers to as this kingdom of darkness, where Satan is even referred to by two different titles in the New Testament, which are really interesting. He's referred to as the prince of power of the air and as a ruler of this world. And we know from other texts in our biblical theology that Satan is on a short leash, right, that God is not surprised by his movements, that God allows him this authority and this um, this ability to, in some sense, rule on this earth. But, but the idea is that right now, uh, today, this earth we live on is, is in some sense his domain, and that when Jesus is saying that as he's coming, as he comes, he is bringing with him a kingdom of light, and there's this collision of light and darkness with the arrival of Jesus. And so even the, the Sermon on the Mount, which includes the Beatitudes, is a description of what life is like for the sons and daughters of light who are living in this dark world. Um, and so you've got, starting with the first two Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That in this present darkness, um, those who are poor in spirit do not look blessed but they're actually in a good place as children of the light living in a dark world. We've got blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted. Um, And so you've got this idea that we, as children of light, because we live in a dark world, are mourning. And it's, it's natural that we would because the darkness in our world grieves us, it bothers us. Um, But Jesus is saying to those who mourn in this dark world, who are his, good on you, good for you you're actually in a good spot so that even those whose life is marked with mourning and being poor in spirit, if they're followers of Jesus, are actually in a good spot. So this reminds me of, I love sports illustrations. So um, so in the game of football, you've got 11 players on offense, 11 players on defense. So uh, most of the time, unless a team is really gutsy on the fourth down, if it's a long distance to get the first down, they'll punt the ball. And so if it's your first time to ever watch the game of football and you see the teams line up for this play, you'd be kind of confused as to why the defense pulls a guy 50 yards back away from the line of scrimmage, away from the ball, um, even further away from their end zone that they're trying to advance the ball to. And so it, it looks like that guy would be out of out of spot, like he'd be in a really terrible place to be and that the team would be at a disadvantage for him to be so far away. Um, but as you watch the play unfold, when they kick the ball, he's actually in the best place to be able to, 
to then advance the ball um, at the end closer to their goal line than what it would be if he were if he wouldn't be back there. So, so for the Christian, um, you know, when we look at these beatitudes, there's so many different um, times we look at these and we see, um, you know, why like those who are, who are um, who are poor in spirit, those who uh, are meek, those who mourn their own sin to the world, to the lost and dying world, that looks like they're out of position. It looks like you're not in a good spot. Um, but those who are in Christ, that's actually the best position, the best place that we can be um, because those positions lead us onto the promises of God, which is the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. Yeah, and, and there's really no greater example of that than Jesus, right? I was... I was thinking on that illustration. If, again, if you were looking at that, if you were watching that unfold for the first time, you might look at that punt returner off by himself and think if he's not lost, maybe the coach just didn't want to give him an important role, that he didn't really trust him to pull off anything significant. When paradoxically the opposite is true, right? That he's the most trusted member on the field for the defense at that time. Just like, I mean, you would never, no one would have ever looked at Jesus hanging on a cross, nailed to it with a crown of thorns, being mocked um, with a spear stuck in his side. No one would ever look at that scene and go, that guy's in a really good spot. He's going to save the world doing that. Yeah, no one would ever look at Jesus and go, wow, look at this great work this guy is accomplishing right now. You would think he was he's been cast aside. He's been given an insignificant role in the grand scheme of God's plan when the exact opposite is true, right? That by humbling himself to that degree, he was doing a great thing. Philippians 2 says it this way, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. And so... So much of Jesus' teachings are centered around this idea that in God's kingdom and God's economy, things are not the way they seem. And that we hang on to this truth in the midst of a situation like this with the coronavirus, that if we are in Christ, we're in a good spot. Even if it doesn't look like it, even if, even if you or someone you know has contracted the coronavirus or, or has some other life-threatening disease for that matter... Even if while you mourn that, know that as a follower of Jesus, you are in a good spot, and we ought not to live in fear in the midst of those situations. Like how you saying that just now, it, it made, me, uh, made me think of this quote that's kind of been going around a little bit recently, and I was looking it up just as you were saying. I was going to read it, if you don't, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, if I can find it here. So it says, it's a, uh, a guy named Matt Smethurst. Uh, It says, it's now clear that COVID-19 is a deadly serious global pandemic and all necessary precautions should be taken. But still C.S. Lewis's words written 72 years ago ring with some relevance for us. Just replace atomic bomb with coronavirus. In one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in the atomic age? I am tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century with the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, and an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. 
This is the first point to be made, and the action must be taken, is to pull ourselves together, to pull ourselves up from our bootstraps. So if we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing something sensible and human things, such as praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting with our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, but they need to not dominate our minds. I thought that was pretty applicable considering, considering here what we're talking about today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like that's true on both a, a very practical level and also on a deeper spiritual level, right? That kind of goes back to Jesus's teaching of, which is really a good teaching for even an atheist, right? That who of you by worrying can add a single day to his life? Yeah. That it simply doesn't help to hunker down in fear and worry about what might happen. Um, but on a spiritual level, especially for the Christian, recognizing that the darkness that surrounds us has already ultimately been conquered by Jesus on the cross. Um, that the darkness we live in as a result of our sin, when Jesus died on the cross, he, he bore the full weight of that darkness to the point that, that when Jesus died, creation itself buckled under the weight of it, that the sky was darkened and the earth was shaken. Um, when he bore the wrath of God for our sins, that, that we talk about this idea of darkness, we understand it's a result of our sin and that Jesus has dealt with that sin fully and finally. And while he hasn't fully rescued us from that darkness yet, um, he has ultimately rescued us from the condemning power of sin, right? That, that the reason we're in a good spot, even in the midst of this darkness, is we know that ultimately the light has come and the darkness has not overtaken it. Um, that Jesus has conquered the condemning effects of sin so that whatever happens in this life, we're in a good spot because of what's to come, because ultimately we will be rescued um, and live in Jesus, free, with Jesus, free from the condemning power of sin. Um, and so for the here and now, this idea that we are, we are citizens of the kingdom of light, living in a kingdom of darkness, um, it should have two marks about us. There should be two marks about the church, which are true of the kingdom of light. Uh, you look at Matthew 4.23, right after Matthew explains, you know, summarizes Jesus' ministry by saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In verse 23, you start to see what it looks like for the kingdom of light to invade darkness. And it says about Jesus, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every, every affliction among the people. So I want us to see two things there. Um, that are happening as the kingdom of light invades the kingdom of darkness. Um, one of them is that the knowledge and worship of God is present. And you see that with simply the idea that Jesus is proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, proclaiming the knowledge and worship of God. And then two, that sin and suffering are alleviated or pushed out in the process of that. Um, so I'm look at those one at a time here. So first of all, the knowledge and worship of God um, it's the idea that spiritual darkness is simply the absence of light. Um, that when we talk about darkness, it's really just that the knowledge and worship of God is absent or lacking. I, 
one of my kids said this to me probably a month ago. We were talking about light and darkness. Um, one of my kids said to me, Dad, how much better would the world be if everyone knew Jesus and did what he said? And it's such a kind of a simple idea, but so true, right? I mean, imagine a world where everyone around you knew God and at least tried, right, their best to like live in submission to God's character, God's law, God's will. So much of the sin and suffering we deal with today would just be gone Mm -hmm. with the knowledge and worship of Jesus present on earth. One of the things that were interesting about today is what we were supposed to do today, according to our plans, was to, uh, we were going to bring in a refugee band from Launchbox to lead us in worship and hear stories from our students. And in case you don't know what that is, um, Launchbox is an event that I Go Global hosts in the Fort Worth area where youth groups come in and minister to the refugee communities there in Fort Worth. There's specifically two apartment complexes that just have a very high concentration of refugees who come from literally all over the world. Um, and they're just in a very difficult situation. They're having to start their lives over in an unfamiliar people, language, place. Their backs are against the wall. And so one of the things we do is we come in, and our youth group participated in this, to to bring about um, the knowledge and worship of God among these refugees, many of whom come from places where the knowledge and worship of God is completely absent. And uh, we'll, we'll reschedule this, and you'll get to hear some of these stories, but one of the stories I got to hear this week, which was just a cool example of this, is one of our students shared the gospel with someone um, who I believe was from uh, Somalia, if I'm not mistaken, but... The, the child they were sharing the gospel with basically replied and told our student, look, I'll, I'll listen to this and I'll, I'll take this Bible and I'll read it, but I can't let my parents find out about this because they're very against this. Uh, but that's what we ought to be doing and what I'm you know, glad to say that at Crosspoint we often are doing is as citizens of light in the kingdom of spreading the knowledge and worship of God. And as we do that, sin and suffering will in many ways be alleviated with the simple presence of people knowing and worshiping the Lord. Um, But then there's a practical element to that as well, that as the church, we ought to be bringing alleviation of suffering in our world as citizens of light who've come. Because again, the kingdom of God is really nothing more than God's God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. If you think of God's will being done in heaven, there's no there's no sin and suffering in heaven. All that is pushed out. The light pushes out the darkness. And that as citizens of that kingdom here on earth, we ought to be um, doing that. We ought to be pushing out sin and suffering right here where we live around us. And the church has such a rich history of doing that very thing. I mean, if you look at even the underground church in China right now, that there's actually certain provinces of China, even though as a whole the country is against the church, there's certain provinces where the, the local communist leaders not only, not only turn their head the other way in regards to the church and its activity, but will actually support the church because they see how much benefit the community has from the church being there. 
um, look, drive around and look at the, the hospitals um, in our world, what you're going to see is lots of churchy names yeah. with those hospitals, Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, um, because the history of hospitals is essentially Christians finding a way to provide health care and assistance to people who are in need. Look at, do a Google search for major disaster relief organizations. You know what you're going to find? Is that most of them are Christian, right? I mean, you've got the Red Cross, Salvation Army, you've got Catholic Charities. Southern Baptist Convention that we partner with has the largest uh, single disaster relief network and operation in the United States. You go to these refugee communities, and it's it's funny to me how there's no shortage of people on social media kind of grandstanding the idea of refugees, that we, we want open borders, we want to welcome refugees, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. But you go to the communities, and who's there? Christians, right? Like you don't see a lot of the same people championing that cause on social media doing anything to actually help people in that situation. But you do see Christians there bringing help and relief and aid and alleviating sin and suffering in those communities. There's a famous quote by this guy who's a former atheist named Malcolm Mudridge. I think I said his name right. This guy that was uh, really against the church and then through his experience, he kind of shifted on that. And this is what he said. He said, I've spent a number of years in India and Africa where I found much righteous endeavor undertaken by Christians of all denominations. Look what he says. But I never, as it happens, came across a hospital or orphanage run by the Fabian Society. Now, Fabian Society was a kind of an atheistic British socialist organization. This kind of, a, as humans, we can make the world a better place on our own. But he says, I never saw them doing any of those things that I saw the church doing. Then he goes on to say, or I never saw a humanist um, working in a, a leper colony. And so if you look at most of the efforts being made towards alleviating sin and suffering in our world, the church historically has definitely led the way in that. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what we want to call to your attention in this text. But God, like, in, in light of that, in, in light of uh, the idea that um, we want to be the church that, that's mobile uh, and a church that wants to continue to to serve the needs of our community and calling ourselves Cross Point Community Church. Uh, I know there's been a little bit of discussion about this as well. So from a practical standpoint, what, what do you guys suggest? What would you suggest as far as how we can be involved, how we can serve the needs of our community and beyond in, in a time like this? Obviously these, when stuff like this arises, right, it's opportunities for us mm -hmm. to serve as Christians. And so what are some suggestions that we can do as far as that's, that's concerned? Yeah, and so, you know, it's it's tempting to want to throw this out there as kind of the canned cookie-cutter answer you hear, but in reality, um, we do need to be praying, right? I yes. mean, that it makes sense for the church, especially when we're not a worship service. Like, why would you not gather your family up today and spend some time pray. yeah, praying that, that we recognize something like the coronavirus as an evil, right, as a result of the fall um, and as a as an evil thing and why would we not be asking God and his mercy 
um, to alleviate the suffering that comes along with that. Sure. So that's something we, you know, we should be, we should be doing. Um, and then the, the other side of that is, you know, how do we do that? How do we do what the churches in China and the, the people who started hospitals and the disaster relief organizations, right? Like the people historically in the church who've responded to needs by getting involved and serving the community, you know, we're asking ourselves, well, how do we, how do we do that? What part do we play in alleviating sin and suffering in a time like this? Mm-hmm. So I know there's some different ideas being thrown out and around there. Like we know that uh, there's some churches in town who are putting some things in place as far as like canned food collection uh, for food banks and helping making sure that those are stocked for uh, those who are hesitant to get out for very good reasons, right? Whether it be because of their age or be because of being immunosuppressant, whatever the, mm-hmm. the reasons being. And so um, perhaps some opportunities there for us to get involved and partner with other local churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know our church body has always been in good about the idea of not just coming to church leadership and saying, hey, we, we need to be doing something and mm-hmm. just kind of laying at the feet of church leadership. But but promoting ideas, offering ideas, and then taking it a step further, not just to offer the ideas, but to take action to put some uh, some movement behind those ideas, to jump in and be involved or take a leadership role in doing that and not just waiting for something to happen or mm-hmm. waiting for somebody else to get in behind it or give them approval to do it. Certainly to get the, um, not even the go-ahead, right, but just the idea of, mm-hmm. of being proactive as far as is serving our community well and so um yeah i mean it kind of come back to those examples we gave earlier like people serving in these refugee communities you think about disaster relief organizations they're most of them aren't led by pastors or church staff yeah, right. you know they're, they're lay people who saw a need and got creative about how to respond to it and so that's that's what we're asking you know is that um you as a listener right now is part of Crosspoint Community Church, take the onus on yourself to to ask that question, to ask what what can we do? I'm sure there's some things you guys will come up with that elders and staff uh, maybe haven't considered in terms of ways we can serve. So I'd like to just kind of leave it at that um, today. Again, we'll we'll reschedule the you know what we normally had planned for for this Sunday, but. And in the meantime, just be thinking about what does it look like for our church to be agents of light in a dark situation like this? Yeah, that'd be great. I know we'll have some more details moving forward, like you said. So uh, we'll certainly pass those on to our church family. Well, man, sure appreciate uh, the word this morning. Uh, if you don't mind, let's, let's pray uh, yeah. right now. Seems like a great idea. You mind praying for us? Absolutely. God, we do pray for those being affected by this, and I pray specifically for people in our body and outside of our body who maybe they aren't affected yet, but because of their health conditions, it's a it's a very real concern for them. Pray that they would be able to trust in you um, while obviously taking wise precautions, um, that they would be comforted knowing that even if something happens, that they're in a good spot because they are in you um, and that that is a, a good place to be. And I pray for um, for those who don't know you that maybe are 
having to ask questions that are deeper that they normally would press aside, like what happens if and when I die and, and things like that. I pray that you would uh, use this as an opportunity to draw people to yourself. Um, and God, I pray that as a, as a church, we would, even on a very practical level, just be light in this dark situation, that you would give our members um, ideas and motivation um, and the, the time and the energy right now to, to figure out what it looks like for us to be light in a dark situation like this. And God, we ultimately are grateful and thankful that regardless of what happens, we do have a hope in you um, because you have overcome the darkness ultimately. Um, and I pray that we would be uh, always ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us and, and be ready to find opportunities to share your the knowledge of who you are and what you've done, that, that you we don't have to overcome the darkness on our own, but that you've done that and we can, we can trust and rest in you and that we would be able to take that message to others. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.